My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I want to begin uh, as we think about our next passage in this book of Galatians with a question. And the question is simply this. Where do you go to get your truth or your foundation of truth, your source of truth, what you believe in? We've talked about this a number of times at sunrise. I think it really is important where you stand or what you stand upon. And I don't think we often think about it, to be completely honest. Uh, and I want to give a couple options for you. One, I think that if you grew up in America, I, I did. If you grew up with the culture, you grew up with uh, television, movies, books, magazines, radio, whatever, you, you could get your source of information for what life is all about, uh, what the purpose, the goal of life is, uh, what it would be like to achieve true life, what the uh, ultimate fulfillment of life would be like. You could go to the culture. The culture is tough because it's like the water we swim in. Culture is just all around us, and we rarely stop to pull out and take a look at it. And unless you do go to another culture, you go overseas, you live there for a season, you come back, you can see a lot clearer. But culture is uh, just that that all around us message and we believe it we receive it we take it in in so many ways now you know by and large we grow up in an american culture and so we buy into everything whatever's on tv whatever's on music magazines grammys whatever we get into that and we we like that well that begins to shape what we believe how we function Another option as a follower of Christ, a believer, a, a person that maybe is religious is you could go to church and you could go to church to get your uh, viewpoints. You could uh, listen to a pastor speak. You could go to youth group. You could hear what a religious person would say is kind of the reality of life, which I would think maybe perhaps would be slightly different than what the culture would say and the message of the culture. And it's possible to uh, go to church and, and hear that and also receive that message of the culture. But I think there is another uh, alternative. There's another option for us. And that is to uh, ask the question, what does Jesus say? What, what does Christ say about this? You know, the message that we're going to see today in the story of Galatians, this really is the pivot point for us asking the question, well, what about Jesus and wh what does he say about it? And how does that matter when we think about some of the biggest issues of life? Now, the reason I bring this up is that uh, I think there's a difference between what the culture would say is right or wrong, north or south, true or false. 
and what the church would say. Not not always, but oftentimes so. Uh, I I know as a pastor, uh, I meet a lot of other church leaders and across different groups, denominations and, you know, all kinds of different belief systems. And oftentimes uh, I sense that uh, the the alignment of truth is more in line with what the culture says than what Christ would say. See, I think that's the struggle for you and for me is we live in a world that says, I mean, seriously, it's okay to go to church and, you know, get your coffee and everything, but uh, a book that's 2,000 to 4,000 years old, isn't that hopelessly out of date? Think of it this way. In my lifetime, I'm 53. In my lifetime, I have seen the just the topics of marriage, divorce, remarriage, sex, sexuality, sexual identity. I've seen all of those things change. And I, I don't think I'm that old. Some of you go, dude, I'm 12. Okay. I get it. Okay. All right. And, and I'm 53. All right. So I understand that seems really old. Okay. But in my lifetime, I remember on television, on movies, music, radio, everything kind of, uh, say one thing about these subjects and the church be pretty strong on those subjects. And yet in the last decades, the culture has shifted. I'm not putting a value statement on. I'm just saying it's a reality. It has shifted. And all we have to do is look at the last two decades to see major, I would say, foundational shifts in our culture. And yet I've also seen the church kind of go along with that, maybe swim down the same stream in many ways. And churches are quick to say, well, I I know we've believed this from the Bible, but I think what the culture is saying is more relevant. And so we will adjust, adapt our beliefs to be more in line with the culture. And yet what I keep coming back to as I read the Bible every year is that Christ hasn't changed. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But our viewpoints on so many issues in our world today have changed. We live in a world that is radically different than it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, If you're maybe 60 or 70 or even older, you know how different it is. We do not live in Mayberry anymore. I don't know that anybody lived in Mayberry. Okay. All right. But we don't live there anymore. We live in a different world. So how are we as followers of Christ... To reach out to that community, to reach out to people that are a part of our community, the church, to challenge them toward the claims of Christ and to reach out to people that are increasingly distant with belief systems, ideologies, values from Christ and introduce Christ to them. Now, the thing I'm I'm really comforted in and we're going to see this is that you and I live in a world that's very much like the original world, the world where the Bible was birthed, specifically the New Testament, the time of Jesus, uh, the time of the Apostle Paul who wrote the letter that we're reading. We live in a very similar world. 
And it's easy for Christians who are holding on to the truth of Christ, the Bible, to panic, to get into the moment of, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to talk to my kids. I don't know what about this and that. But I think we're in really good company when we read the Bible because the very early church was birthed in a world much like our world. In very similar ways, whether it's in sexuality, whether it's in issues of truth and understanding truth or practicing that. We live in a very similar world. And so I think we are going to be fine, actually, to be frank. We're going to be okay by sticking with what the Bible says because it was that very message that brought a radical transformation into the culture of the New Testament. But if... If we decide that our message is too, uh, dare I say, offensive or too challenging and then adapt our message to better reflect the opinions, the values, maybe the receptivity of the culture, uh, then I think we're going to lose. Because, in my opinion, we won't even have a message at that point. Now, why do I bring all this up? As I said, we're going to see this in the story. We've been in the book of Galatians. Book of Galatians is one of the letters that the apostle Paul wrote. It's probably his first letter, an early, early letter. And he's dealing with a struggle in the church. He's dealing with the problem. Again, if if you know anything about what we said, if you've been here the last couple weekends, the book of Galatians was written as a response to what was going on in the churches that Paul had planted. So if you grab a Bible, turn to Galatians in chapter one, page 890 in your chair Bible, or if you wait a couple minutes, it'll even be on the screen. Okay. But what we're going to see is that as Paul planted these churches in this region called Galatia, uh, which would be like Turkey, Greece, and, and kind of that area, then these people followed and came in to the churches preaching a different message. And they said, Oh, Oh, we saw this last week. I'm so glad you received Jesus, but have you heard of a guy named Moses? Because you have to go to Moses first. And as I shared last week, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. If you add anything to the message of Jesus, you don't have Jesus anymore. If you somehow say, well, we're going to take Jesus and then we're going to add maybe church attendance, then you've kind of really just watered down to the point of not having any message about Jesus anymore. Or if you, as they did, said, well, you have to obey all the laws of the Old Testament. Man, I am in them right now. I'm reading Leviticus. Can we talk about bloody, boring, oh my goodness, what are we doing with these? I'm so glad we don't do those things. Things, all right. How many animals would have to die? How much blood would have to be spilled? I mean, grotesque details about how they had to do that. And this is what those early believers in Jesus were saying is you have to do all of that and follow Jesus. And there is the tension right there. And what Paul was, he's really angry and he's upset. He's really forceful. He's saying, you know, you got to understand it's Jesus plus nothing. And anytime anybody adds Jesus to it, you water down the message. Now, we're going to follow along with this and we're going to see here that the Bible actually is, is really relevant. And I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped about this and uh, I, I want you to be excited too. So hopefully, or you might be really mad. Just be one or the other. If you, you know, just don't 
go to sleep. Okay. So here we go. We're going to take a look at this. Uh, Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 1, 11 to 24. It's a long passage. We're going to spend a lot of time on two verses, uh, but don't worry. We're going to go quickly through the rest of it. This is what Paul says. Dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to Christians. He's talking every week about the gospel, the message of Jesus, the good news that we can enter into the kingdom of God, that Jesus has come. He has forgiven our sins. He's died on the cross. He's ushering, welcoming us in. Jesus is opening the door for us to get to God. And he is that way. And so this is the message. Dear brothers and sisters, he's writing to people like you and me. I want you to understand. What he's saying is, I want to make it perfectly clear. That's a literal rending of that. Now, why? Again, he's writing to people that have been told a distorted truth and they fall and pray to some false teaching. And he's going to fight that false teaching in the book because I want you to. This is really clear. I want you to understand that this is as plain as I can get. You need to hear this. The message, the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. He says it's not because it makes sense. It's not because someone has argued the point. It's not just human reasoning. I received my message from no human source. I didn't receive it from flesh and blood. Nobody on the earth told me the message. And he's going to talk about that in in just a bit. First of all, he says, and we saw it last week, even if an angel were to come proclaiming they came from heaven with a message, disregard it. Even if I were to come and preach a different message, throw it out. So he says, here's what's going on. I want you to clearly understand that the message I preach is not my message. And it's not the other people we're going to see later, the apostles message. It didn't come by mere human reasoning, no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, if you've studied Paul, you know anything about him. He was uh, very avid in persecuting the church. He was really excited about getting rid of Christians. These new believers, these new followers of Jesus, they were, in his mind, distorting the truth. They were perverting this message of Moses. And they said, you don't have to obey those laws anymore. Jesus Christ has fulfilled them. He's gone to the cross. He's died. He's risen. He's resurrected. He's back to life again. And now he is in our lives. And he's appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people. Well, what? The problem was, was that that was messing up the message of the Jewish people. And and they were very, very, very upset. And so they were trying to correct this, what they would consider a human error. And Paul says, I want you to understand that I was on a road and I was going on this road to go to a town and I was going to destroy Christians. I was out for blood. I was on a mission to get rid of Christianity. And if I could have lived my life with one mission, it would have been to discredit everything. Paul tells himself again and again, tells us again and again, and all this going on, that he was an avid Jewish man. He was so passionate about the message. If anybody would have been saved or made right with God by obedience to the law and the works, it was him. He did it all, right? And he goes, I wanted nothing less than total destruction of these followers of Jesus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus showed up to me. Acts chapter 9 talks about this. He, he recounts it three or four times in, in Acts three times and then again here in Galatians. And what's going on is he says, I didn't really have a choice in the matter. Uh, I was knocked on my tail. I was knocked off. I was down in the dust. I was blind. Jesus showed up. He said, why are you persecuting me? He goes, Lord, Lord, I don't think I'm persecuting you. Who are you? He says, Jesus. Well, that's a revelation right there. That's a wake up call, right? 
Because he wanted to destroy this message of Jesus. And so what Paul says is, I didn't receive this from other people. It wasn't my own idea. Nobody argued me into this. Jesus showed up face to face with me. Now, later on, we see he says that Jesus actually taught him. That's kind of a mysterious thing, that he received his instruction direct from Jesus. Now, why, why, why do I think that's important? And I want to just kind of camp on this for a bit. Um, the reality is, is I think it's significant because I hope you don't believe what I say because I believe it. I hope you don't. I hope you check it out because religious leaders have been saying things for years that are not true. They've been duping people. They've been swindling people out of money and all kinds of things. Just being a religious leader, just being in a religion doesn't mean that it's true or right. Just because a group of people come together and say, hey, this is what we believe doesn't mean it's true. I mean, and here's kind of the, the, the perspective. And again, I said it last week. I want to say it again. I don't mean, I, I mean, no disrespect. I don't mean any kind of attack or anything like that. I just want to talk about some experiences. So 18 years ago, my wife and I, in the summer, we were in Athens we were there. And if you go to Athens, the, the ancient part of Athens called the Acropolis, the Parthenon, there's a place called the Areopagus or Mars Hill. And it's where in Acts chapter 17, the apostle Paul argues about Jesus to a group of polytheists, meaning they believed there were many, many gods. So my wife and I are up there and I wanted to get up there. I wanted to read that text. And, and well, we get up there and there's this big group up there and they're seated and there's a teacher, somebody kind of doing a group presentation. And so we're seated there and all of a sudden I'm listening to the message and it dawns on me I know who these people are and I look down and there's a fanny pack this remember this was 18 years ago it was a fanny pack okay and it said BYU and I said I knew it I knew it this is a Mormon group this is a Mormon group again no disrespect and so I listened and they go so do you have any questions I said yeah I have a question and I wasn't trying to be arrogant I wasn't trying to be a cuss or anything like that I just had some questions I said so um what do you base your belief system on? Because I lived in Boise for five years. I've shared the gospel with Mormons. I've taught youth about, I, I, I know a lot. I got tons of books. I got a copy of the original book of Mormon. I've studied it. I can, I can talk, we can talk about stuff. Okay. And so I start asking questions and they're like, no, no, no. And I, and they, and I, they said, well, let me tell you. And this is what the guy said. He goes, we have a belief system because we have a leader. I go, oh, tell me about your leader. Well, we have 12 apostles and then we have the prophet and we alone in the world have a messenger from God. And I said, again, no disrespect. I said, you know, my wife and I just came from Rome and um, we, we were at the Vatican. We were in the Vatican. We were at the Sistine Chapel. We were there. We climbed up the holy stairs and we went through the door, the special St. Peter's door. We went up there and they have the same thing. They have a spokesman on the earth that speaks for God. And so why is your special? And they go, well, we have this. I go, but they have that too. And we start talking and, and, um, I realized, and it was kind of a humorous thing. I looked at my wife and told her about it later. I smiled. I said, do you realize I'm standing on Mars Hill arguing Jesus to a bunch of polytheists? It sounds like something that happened 2000 years ago. I kind of smiled inside because they believe there are many, many gods. Okay. You can be your own God. You're a God. I'm a God. Everybody's a God, God. You know, we just get our own planet when everything's done. Now, again, no disrespect, but just to take a look at that group. Catholicism has this used to have this whole teaching about, um, you know, this, you could win someone out of heaven by buying them out of it. 
you, this is what Martin Luther protested, is that with money you could buy someone out of purgatory. That if you give enough money, the Pope would wave the magic scepter and a person would be sprung from purgatory. You know, to which Luther said, well, if the Pope has that kind of power, why doesn't he just like wave it and everybody gets out? Why would you have to pay money? Well, they had to build cathedrals and things like that. But then that changed. And you could study Catholicism and how theology has changed over time as the leader says, well, we're different now. And it's different. Mormonism, the same thing. You could study this. Mormonism says without question, without question, uh, men should have many wives. You should have polygamous marriages. Okay. Now it is interesting that there's never a women's group that says we should have many husbands. Wives. Okay. But somehow men and their groups go, we should have a lot of wives. Okay. And so that's the early birth of Mormonism. And then in order to get statehood, that wasn't allowed by the federal government. And guess what? The messenger of God got a vision that it's no longer God's will. It was, but it's not. And then the statement was African-Americans cannot receive the priesthood because they're cursed by God. And God changed the color of their skin to show everybody that they're cursed. We're like, okay, interesting. That's fascinating. And that was true until, guess what? Civil rights. Okay. And all of a sudden that fell in favor. And you know what? The prophet got a message from God that now that's changed. Now, now again, I'm not saying that to disrespect them. I'm saying... Don't believe it because a religious leader says it. Don't believe it because a church teaches it. Believe it because you get it right from the scripture, from Christ himself. Because what Christ says, in my opinion, is all that matters. And pretty much everything that Christ said wasn't that difficult to understand. I mean, there's a couple things about, you know, when he's coming back and all that that we don't know. But other than that, it's pretty simple. I mean, how hard is love your enemies? Gee, let's break that down. Let's spend 34 weeks studying that. No, just love your enemies, right? Pray for those that persecute you. I wonder what he meant by that. (laughs) Well, he meant that, right? But you see, in some pretty significant ways, our culture has shifted. And it's very likely that the church has shifted. And many churches are shifting. And I would say, again, I might offend you. I hope I offend you because I'm offended by this message um, that. Even Christians in church have shifted. But if we get our message from Jesus, as Paul is arguing, I didn't get it from, I didn't think about it. It wasn't like this was a cool idea. Me and my buddies got together. We came up with this. We had this really cool understanding. A bunch of people taught us. I got it directly from Jesus. I have to obey this message from Jesus. Okay. If that is indeed our perspective Then what does Jesus say? Well, let me show you something really difficult Jesus says that, to be frank, a lot of churches don't like anymore. And certainly our culture doesn't like. Okay, look what Jesus says. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one can come to the father except through me. That is a very exclusive claim. You and I live in a what's called a pluralistic world. Pluralistic world says there are many different belief systems. And I, I agree with that. There are many different belief systems. And I think we should show absolute respect and love for every belief system. Every religious system. I think we should show a lot of tolerance in that. But that is not the same thing as saying every belief system is true. Because they just can't logically work out. But Jesus, in a very uh, loving way to his followers, is answering a question, where are you going? And he goes, I am the way. I'm not just a guy that will point you to the way. 
as some people think Jesus is. He said, I personally am the way. I'm not just somebody that would uh, lead you to the place where you'll discover truth. I'm the truth. Truth is a person. It's me. And, and he said, I'm not just some guy that if you follow all my teachings, you'll discover true life. I myself am the life. To which, if we take this seriously, if we take it literally, factually, Jesus just made an exclusive truth claim in a very pluralistic world that he lived in, uh, where a lot of different beliefs existed. And he said, um, I'm the only one. There's only one door but me. But you go, but what about? Fill in the blanks. What about this group? What about this belief? What about this religion? What about that? Uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not one of them, but I am the. And you follow through and you go, but that doesn't sound very, you know, inclusive. It's not. It's very exclusive. But somehow in our culture, we have been raised with the belief that anything that's exclusive is narrow is wrong. It's not nice. And how dare you say yours is, aren't we supposed to coexist? And I say, absolutely, because that's what the bumper sticker told me to do. (laughs) I have no problem with coexisting. I have friends. I have neighbors. I have, well, I live on a farm, so I don't even have any neighbors. But I mean, I have had neighbors in my lifetime here in Hillsboro that are um, Mormon, that are, that are, uh, Islam, Islamic followers, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, uh, Taoists. Uh, I've, got, I've got all kinds of different people in my life, and that's fine. Now, atheists, you know, I love atheists. When people, I, I've had people come and go, you know, church, hey, I'm James, I'm a pastor. What, do you, what about you? Oh, I'm so-and-so, I'm an atheist. I go, I love atheists. In fact, God loves atheists, which is kind of funny, weird, you know what I mean? Um, that God would love atheists, but he does. He does. But that doesn't mean... That the message is true that you believe. Just because I believe a message doesn't mean it's true. The question is, where's your truth source? Uh, And so the reality is we need to wrestle with this one. Today we live in this group. The Apostle Paul did this. He taught this. In this message in the middle of a lot of gods. Imagine he's in Athens in Acts 17 and there are gods everywhere. And, and there are idols everywhere and statues everywhere. Uh, Peter, James, and John are in Jerusalem and they're told you can't preach this message anymore because it's offensive to us because you're saying you're right and we're wrong. And Paul stands up and says, hey, I want to tell you about all these other gods. They're not really gods at all. The one I follow is the right one. It's the unknown God that you even built an altar to just in case, you know. And this is what the apostles said. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. That is extremely offensive. If you were to go and put that on a billboard, you would be attacked by people. It would be graffitied. If you were to, you know, put this on your vehicle and drive down into wonderful, loving Portland, you would have windows beat out. Okay, because this is not the message of love in our culture today. The message of love in our culture is whatever you believe is fine. But the apostles would say, that's not a message of love because whatever people believe doesn't make it true. In fact, that's not loving at all, because if you have the answer and you're not telling people, how do you love people? 
Loving people is pointing him to Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. We live in a world today, just like Paul, just like the early followers of Jesus says, whatever you want to worship, whatever you want to do, whatever lifestyle you want to have, it's all okay. Doesn't really matter. Basically, it says Jesus isn't the way. He's not the truth. He's not the life. I mean, he's one of them, but he's one among many. Or there is salvation in a lot of other places. God has given many names under heaven by which we must be saved. Because all roads up the mountain lead to God, right? That's how we live. We live in this world. But the beautiful thing is this, is that Christianity, believing in Jesus, exploded in that world. When believers lived their faith out. Not just went to church and said they did it, but acted just exactly like the culture. But they were radically different. They looked like Christ. Then there was such a gap. The culture saw them. The way they loved and the way they lived and the way they treated people. And all of a sudden, people began to see this message. I want to read this. Uh, I encountered this a couple years ago. This is um, uh, a Christian leader, a Japanese leader from a couple generations ago, Toyohiko Kagawa. It's not on the screen. Uh, but, But he sums it up. He says this. I'm grateful for Shinto, for Buddhism, and for Confucianism. I owe much to these faiths. That's that's where he was raised. Yet these three faiths utterly failed to minister to my heart's deepest needs. I was a pilgrim journeying on a long road that had no turning. I was weary. I was footsore. I wandered through a dark and dismal world where tragedies were thick. Buddhism teaches great compassion. But since the beginning of time, who has declared this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the remission of sins? Islam, of course, proclaims the mercy of God. Each chapter of the Quran is introduced by the words in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful. But they do not tell of a costly and historic display of God's mercy as portrayed by the cross and spoken of in each gospel. In Islam, Allah is merciful to the meritorious, to those who pray, give alms and fast at Ramadan. But in Christianity, God is merciful to sinners, not because of their good works but because of Christ's sacrifice for them on the cross. You see, you and I, I I will say this, we believe a belief system that says it's not about earning your way to heaven. As I said last week, every religious belief system of the world can be spelled with the letters D-O. It's what you do. And hopefully you've done enough. I remember seeing a video many years ago, I still have it in my office, and it was about a belief system and people going to church and on camera, man on the street interview afterwards, asking the question, well, do you know for certain that you're going to heaven? The person says, no, there's no way to know that. I just hope that my church attendance and my good works will get me there. And I thought, how depressing would that be to think that there's no way to know that there's no hope and you just hope that in the end, your good deeds outweigh your bad and your bad don't level out. But if you get enough good to outweigh the bad, you just might make it. How do you even know what good and bad is in God's sight? Thankfully, in Jesus, he's come and he's revealed this. You and I live in a situation where I don't think this message is a loving message unless we tell them that we are broken and we are lost and we are all very far from God's grace. 
because of our own sinfulness. That's the offensive part of the gospel. But in love, Jesus came to us. In mercy, he showed up. He didn't wait for us to earn it. He didn't wait for us to figure it out, get a mental pathway to God. He came into this world, this broken, wretched, sinful world, and died for us. That is a free gift that we can receive now. Not cheap, but paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Out of any of the belief systems of the world, has anybody said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then gone to the cross, died, and rose again? That's Jesus. The rest of the passage is pretty interesting, and I want to get there. I want to read this. We're going to just go through it quickly because of time. But it brings up an interesting question, I think, for you and for me. Paul then says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I already told you about that. He was pretty angry about it. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. He followed the law completely. He says, but, but here's the next thing. But before, even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son, Jesus, to me so that I would proclaim the good news, the gospel about Jesus, the Gentiles. He said this, that Peter was the apostle preaching to the Jews and Paul is the apostle preaching to the Gentiles. Peter stayed in Rome and the church was just blown up, exploded and huge in the Jewish people and the faith. But Paul was the one, even though he was a Jew, raised as a Gentile in many ways. He went out to that Gentile world and churches were born. And so this is his message. He says, when this happened. I did not rush out to consult. So when he met Jesus is what he's saying. This is kind of weird. I did not rush out to consult with any human being or flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were the apostles before I was. He's not interested in, you know, getting impressed by people or impressing people. Instead, I went away into Arabia, probably southern Damascus, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. So he says, I went out, I hung out with Jesus personally. He says, then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter and stay with him 15 days, which is kind of weird. Who cares how many days, right? 15, okay? That's going to be on next week's quiz. But see, what he's saying... What he's saying is, I need you to know, because these Judaizers were saying it, that he went to Peter and got taught by Peter. And he had this distorted message, and that's why Paul's wrong. Paul says, I didn't even consult with Peter. I went directly. I went directly to Jesus. I stayed for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I'm writing to you is not a lie. Now, it's important to him to say this because the Judaizers were were saying his message is twisted because Peter twisted this message. The apostles have all abandoned the truth of the story of Moses and how Jesus works. And then finally he wraps up. He says, after that visit, I went north in the provinces of Syria, Cilicia, and still the churches in Christ that are in Judea didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith he tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Now here is a beautiful, beautiful question. When we get to this story, Paul very clearly says, you know what I was like, and I'm not like that anymore. Following Jesus, meeting Jesus face to face, not religion, not zeal for persecuting people and believing what I was raised to believe. But when I encountered Jesus, it so radically changed me that I'm different. You know what I was like, but I'm not like that anymore. 
There's a story in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 9, where Jesus comes and heals a man who was born blind. And uh, the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, come up to the guy and says, uh, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And then they go back and then they ask his parents. The parents say, I don't know. Ask him. He's an adult. They don't want to get in trouble. And so they go to, to tell us again. He goes, well, I, I don't know. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And I think about that. And I go, what a beautiful message. I was like this before. But I'm not like that anymore. I'm like this now. I'm different. See, what Paul just illustrated by, by telling you details about 15 days, and I hope you memorize all that about Cilicia and stuff like that, Damascus and Arabia. But what Paul is saying is, my life has been changed. There is a radical transformation in my life because of what Jesus Christ has done. And my question is, could you say that? Could anybody around you say that? Is there a radical transformation has there actually been a change so significant that people would look at you and go what in the world happened to you see i believe i believe that the culture today needs to see jesus in us because the message of the way the truth of life and there's no one but him and there's no other way and all that stuff that is offensive but when they see it lived in us that's attractive and, and we could preach all day long. We could go and if you want, get soapboxes and preach about people and tell them they're going to hell and scream at people and all that stuff. You could do that all day long and you could just condemn the culture to hell. Or you could be like Jesus and come into the culture and love and live and give a different message. You and I could be the kind of people that even though people might say, I can't believe You're so insensitive. I can't believe you're so exclusive and narrow-minded and judgmental to say Jesus is the only way. I know what you used to be like. And now you're different. And that is worth listening to and following. I hope, and this is the challenge, that when you think about the culture, the church, or Christ, you consider your own life. I was in Uganda this summer in August, July, August, one of those two months somewhere. And um, I was talking to these pastors in a pastor's group, and they were wrestling with an issue that uh, in their church culture, um, they're, they're not following the Bible. But their church culture and their Ugandan culture is different. And so they're wrestling with this. And my friend Derry Turner brought me in to talk about this in a subtle way. And Derry took me around and we've supported Derry. We've supported that Bible college for years. He showed me some things that have been put up and went down to the river to look at the solar system that uh, solar, not solar system, but the system of solar power and generated there and up on this. It was really cool. And there was this river down there. I said, so Derry, tell me about this river. And he says, wow, this is really peaceful now. But man, when the floods come, people die in this river. They get sucked down the river. So I went back to the pastors. And as I talked about culture, as I talked about church, as I talked about Christ, in some of the similar ways today, I said, you know, you and I live in a world that is like uh, a stream all around us. You and I stand in the middle of a river and the water is around us. And I was talking about there. So I said, can I tell you about my culture? My culture is radically shifting. It has shifted on all these issues and areas. They were just shocked at what I was telling them about America these days. And I said, but here I am as a follower of Christ. And I'm standing in a river that's not up to my ankles anymore. It's up to my waist, up to my chest, and it's rising. And the floods 
are powerful and fast and they are pushing and pushing and pushing. I said, you know, it'd be so easy to lift up a foot on a, a biblical issue and say, well, I'll tell you what, I won't believe that anymore because of the culture. But you know, the second you get your foot off of a solid foundation of truth, you will be swept away and you will never get your foothold again. If we decide that what Jesus says is not the truth and we go with what our church believes or other churches believe or what our culture believes, my friends, we're not going to recover that. And as difficult, as painful as it is to stand solid on a rock and say, in spite of the water of the culture rushing around me and the fact that I have to fight it constantly to get not knocked over, but to get a stable footing. I choose to do that because Jesus hasn't changed. And the only message I have for my culture is Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you know, if, if I ticked you off and you're mad at me, good, that's fine. We can duke it out in the foyer. That's great. Um, I brought my boxing gloves. But the fact is, what I really hope you hear is this. Is that a radical transformation will occur when you meet that Jesus. And if you haven't had a radical transformation, I would just go between you and God and go, do I really know you or am I just religious? Am I just adopting the church culture now? And I think I'm in because I know in my life I was blind and now I see I wasn't some horrible druggy wretch person. Some of you are great. I love you. You know what? I was just a kid who at 15 realized I was broken and sinful. I I didn't do a lot of bad stuff. I can't say much because my mom's still here. And nine o'clock service, I'll tell you all kinds of things I did. But my mom's in the audience. So, no, I was just a kid that realized one day I didn't have to go off the deep end because I hadn't. And if you have, man, Jesus loves you and sunrise loves you too. That's why we exist. But I'm telling you, I just realized one day I was lost. And it, it hit my heart so deeply that I was, I was far from God and just going to church wasn't going to solve that. And I had to wrestle this one to the ground. And I remember December 1979, I stood there and I said, okay, Jesus, I believe it. I believe you died for me. I, I'm tired of playing the church game. And God did a radical transformation in my life. And I am not the same person I was before. I guarantee you, you we can sit down and talk about it, but man... Jesus has changed my life. I'm not a perfect person. Ask my kids. They're in the service too. But I am radical. I am no longer the same. I was blind. I now can see. I was like this before and people knew me and now I'm like this. Can that be said of you? This is what my life was like before and you know it. But now this is the purpose of my life. If you haven't had one of those transformations, you may know the gospel up here, but you don't know the gospel, my friends. Because when you know the gospel in your heart, it will change you. Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for this message and I thank you for the truth. You love us in spite of our brokenness and wretchedness and sinfulness. And all of us stand in that way. All of us stand in that line. None of us are any better. No matter how morally righteous we think we are, we are all broken, sinful, far from you people and deserve the punishment of all of our sins poured back on us. And yet in love, you sent Jesus to have all of that poured on him. And to take our sin away. God, why would we say no to such a marvelous gift like that? Why would we not jump up and say yes to it? Not religion, not church culture, 
Not just what some religious person or pastor like me says, but what you and your words say very clearly that there's no other way but through Jesus, the way, the truth, and life. Would we say yes to that tonight? We pray in your name. Amen.